Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, my wife, Jeannie, couldn't come today, so I apologize for that. I was sharing in the first service that um, nine out of ten people do think she's nicer than I am and like her more, so I apologize that you just get me today. Um, but uh, we are really grateful that you guys are partnering with us to reach the nations uh, in New York City and in other places. Uh, we moved to New York City about 20 years ago to reach unreached people groups. Now, just so you know, an unreached people group is a, a group of people that come from a certain cultural linguistic background, um, and they're called unreached people groups because the number of believers in this people group is extremely small. And typically it's been under 2%, but most of the unreached people groups we, we're working with are far under 1% of the people from that people group are believers or even know uh, any clear understanding at all of the gospel. So our vision and our mission is to reach unreached people groups and start churches amongst them. And we started in New York City 20 years ago, first with international students, and then other people have joined us. And we now have a team working with Arab Muslims. We have a team working with Bangladeshi Muslims. We have a team working with West African Muslims. We have several campus teams. We have a team in Dallas reaching Hindus. We have a team in Rome, Italy, reaching South Asians and West Africans. So God is uh, really opening people's eyes to the great opportunity we have through migration. Um, and so we are just so thankful that you've partnered with us. And, and we've seen nine churches started in other countries as a result of reaching people here and them going back and reaching their friends and family and starting churches. I just got back from Dakar in June uh, after we coached and trained a woman who went back. We discipled her, coached her, trained her. She went back and started a house church in her house. And now there's 15 to 20 people coming there. And now the church is going out two by two, trying to live out Luke chapter 10 to share the gospel with Muslims, and now they have several Muslim families who are studying the scriptures with them. So God's really opening up doors to see the gospel uh, reaching unreached people groups here and as they connect with their families back home as well. Um, but the topic of migration, and as Pastor Bob shared, you know, people have a lot of mixed feelings about this topic of migration. On the one hand, we want to see people come to know Jesus, and we're sending missionaries out to go to these places to share the gospel, and in many places you can't actually get in, so it's extremely difficult. But the idea of these people coming here often stirs a lot of feelings, and this topic of migration is extremely uh, sensitive, and it's a very political issue. Um, and oftentimes we allow the news media and different venues to speak to us about and to shape our views about migration. But what I'd like to do today is actually look at the theme of migration through Scripture. Um, now let me tell you that my talk today is not a political talk. I'm not trying to get you to land on one side or the other. What I'd like to do is just outline what Scripture says about migration and the theme of migration through Scripture, just so that we as believers can be informed by Scripture and, and see how migration fits into God's story uh, in seeking and saving the lost. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start uh, in the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to cover the entire Bible today. Okay, so uh, Austin in the morning told me when to end, but nobody actually told me when to end for this service. So I'm thinking, what do you guys usually end around 1, 1.30? Something like that. 
<laughs> two, two o'clock, good, okay. Um, no, I promise I won't keep you that long. But uh, okay, so this is also going to be interactive. So please feel free to, to interact as I ask questions. So we're going to go through Scripture. And now let me just say a few things. When we think about migration, we use the term immigrant. We use the term refu- refugee, maybe international student. Uh, in Scripture, when it talks about migration, it uses terms like alien, foreigner, stranger, um, sojourner. These are some of the terms that Scripture uses for migration. And what we're going to find as we look and do this overview of migration, we're going to see a number of different things that sometimes God uses migration to discipline people. Sometimes God uses migration to cause people and teach them to trust Him. Sometimes God uses migration for redemptive purposes um, in order to carry out His message of redeeming the world. Sometimes God uses migration to bring people so that people who are migrating receive the gospel. Sometimes God uses migration to cause people to migrate to spread the gospel. And if we have time, maybe we'll even look at how God actually calls us to think like foreigners, like migrants, like aliens in this world that we're just passing through. So these are some of the things we're going to look at. And we're going to start, um, I'm just going to go, so these are some of the things we just talked about. Uh, God forces people to migrate when rejecting God, calls people to migrate when following, leads people to migrate to trust Him. The gospel is received by those migrating. The gospel is spread by those migrating. We are called to think like ones who are migrating. All right, now, that being said, let's start. Where in the Bible is the first place that we see migration happening? Okay, even before Abraham, Adam and Eve leading the garden. So in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. This was their, the garden was their homeland, was their country, was their culture. And because of sin, God forced them out of the garden and migration begins. We don't know how big the garden was. It could have been the size of a nation. We just don't know. But migration begins. They're forced out. Migration begins. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. Okay. In Genesis chapter 4. Now, let me just say this. There are so many passages that deal with migration and how we treat immigrants and refugees. We can only deal with a very small percentage of those passages. We're going to do a 30,000-foot overview. Uh, We're not going to be able to deal with all of the passages. So we're just picking out some. All right. Now we go to Genesis 4. We see Cain, again, because of his sin, his punishment is that he will be continually migrating throughout his life. Look at what Cain says. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, continually going from place to place, migrating from one land to another. I will be a restless wanderer. So we see again, God's using migration for disciplinary purposes. What's the first place in scripture that we see global migration? Does anybody know where that is, where we see global migration? Tower of Babel. Actually, in Genesis chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, it talks about how God actually scatters the people. But then we see this in Genesis 11 again with the Tower of Babel. Again, it seems like it's a disciplinary purpose, but look at what it says. It says, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Uh, From there, the Lord scattered them over over the face of the whole earth. Okay, now, who scattered people throughout the entire globe? 
the Lord did. What this is saying is that God divinely orchestrated global migration. Now, the interesting thing about this is secular sociologists and secular anthropologists say that humanity started at a certain place on this planet, and from this one location spread throughout the entire globe. Well, that's exactly what Scripture says. And the interesting thing about it is that the place that secular anthropologists say it began and the place that Scripture says it began are actually remarkably close. But what we learn is that God actually is behind and orchestrating global migration. All right, now someone mentioned Abraham. That's Genesis 12. Now, here is the first case in Scripture where we see God using migration for redemptive purposes. Now, his name was originally Abram, and God goes to Abram and says, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. Now, God is, God's intention with this migration is to bless and to redeem, and to bring salvation to the whole world. And we know that it's through Abraham that all the nations of the earth are blessed. And we know that it's through Abraham that salvation comes because Jesus is through the seed of Abraham. But here we see God calling Abraham to begin migrating and to go to a foreign land. All right, now, So the promise comes to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed, and this promise is passed down to his son. You have Abraham and then Isaac, and then the promise is passed from Isaac to Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, now, one of the sons was named Joseph. And Jacob's brothers didn't like Joseph very much, and they were jealous of him, so they tried to kill him, but then eventually just sold him as a slave into Egypt. Um, Joseph probably didn't help the situation because he would go to his brothers and say, hey guys, I just had this dream, I'd love to share it with you. They'd say, oh, what is it? Well, in this dream, all you guys bow down to me, and, and, you know, and they didn't like that, so uh, they wanted to kill him. Well, they sell him as a slave into Egypt, and this is probably the first case in Scripture. The term that we would use for this is human trafficking. This is the first case in Scripture where we see human trafficking, where Joseph is sold as a slave down into Egypt. All right, but God was with uh, Joseph, and God rescued Joseph from from his troubles, and Joseph went from being uh, a prisoner in Egypt to being second in command. And you guys know the story of all that. The Pharaoh had a dream. He didn't understand it. He couldn't find anybody who would interpret it, but someone knew that Joseph would, could interpret dreams through, through God's power. So Joseph was brought to the Pharaoh, and Joseph said, this is what your dream means. There's going to be seven years of blessing on, uh, you know, on the land, and there's going to be great, a great harvest. And then following that seven years of blessing, there's going to be seven years of famine okay? That happened. Seven years of blessing came. All of the grain in Egypt was stored up, or a lot of the grain in Egypt was stored up. Then the seven years of famine came, and Egypt had grain, but the famine didn't only hit Egypt. It actually hit the entire region all around that area, and Jacob and his brothers and an entire family were in this region, and they were starving. They had no grain. So Jacob says to his, the brothers, go down to Egypt. I hear they have grain in Egypt. So Jacob's brothers go down, Joseph's brothers go down there. Uh, long story short, on their second visit, they find out that Joseph is second in command. Now, look at what happens. Uh, the brothers sinned greatly against Joseph. 
But look at Joseph's perspective when he talks about what happened. Joseph says this to his brothers, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over Egypt. Even though man has bad intentions, even though people seek to hurt us, even though the brothers were sinning against Joseph, God was sovereignly orchestrating through these events to bring about his redemptive purposes. And I just want to say that God will allow things to happen to us sometimes because he has a greater plan in store. And he did that for Joseph as well. Okay, So Joseph was brought there by God through the acts of a sinful man, but by, same, as, same as the death on Jesus' death on the cross, sinful people were trying to accomplish their purpose, but God was using it for redemptive purposes. Um, and Jesus, it was part of his plan all along. But Joseph was sent there because God was going to rescue uh, Jacob and the entire family. So he's down there. Jacob, uh, Joseph says, bring the entire family down. So Jacob and the entire family, about 70, 75 in all, they migrate from their area down into Egypt as what? What would the term be that we would use? Refugees. Refugees. An immigrant is someone who goes somewhere for economic opportunity or just for a better life, but a refugee is specifically defined as people who flee somewhere because they're trying to save their lives. They're fleeing famine, they're fleeing war, they're fleeing political unrest. They're refugees, they're seeking refuge somewhere uh, for safety and to, you know, to, to live. So the nation of Israel at that point flees down to Egypt as refugees. Okay. Now, how many years are they in Egypt? 400 years the Jewish people are in Egypt. 400. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. That means that generation after generation after generation of Jewish people, they were living in Egypt, and this was their, this was their homeland. This was their country. This is their culture. This is all they knew. This is, this is before, it's almost like prior to the Civil War, our, our ancestors, this is all they knew. Now, things are going well in the beginning because the Pharaoh, like Joseph, everybody was welcomed. Things were going okay. But then the Jewish people started to increase and they started to multiply. And the Egyptians didn't like the Jewish people, and they didn't really want them there. And as they grew and multiplied, the, Jew, the Egyptian people felt even more threatened you know, hey, we don't want you to have a voice. We don't like your culture. We don't like how you're influencing our country, what they considered their country. We don't like it. And so they started to persecute them. They started to kill them. They started to mistreat them, and they, they made them slaves. So the, Egypt, the, uh, the Jews call out to God and say, God, rescue us. And who does God send to rescue the Jewish people? Moses. Now, is Moses in Egypt? No. Moses left Egypt 40 years earlier. Okay, do you remember why he left Egypt? He, got in, he, he saw some Egyptians uh, hurting some Jewish people, so he went over and killed one of the Egyptians. They found out about it. It became known. So 
uh, Moses escaped and fled out of Egypt as what? What would the category be? Yeah, maybe refugee, maybe fugitive, you know, but he was definitely trying to save his life. So refugee slash fugitive, something like that. Okay, so he leaves and he moves to Midian and actually has two sons there. And actually one of the sons he names Gershom, which actually means a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses' whole identity was actually now as this foreigner. Actually, the interesting thing is Moses was actually raised in the, in the Pharaoh's household. He was a foreigner from the very beginning anyway. He goes out as, but that's his homeland. He leaves as a foreigner. God says, go back and rescue my people. So Moses comes back and he says to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And Moses says, I really want to encourage it. And Moses and Pharaoh says, no. The plagues happen. Nine of the plagues are going on. Still, the, the, uh, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Then the 10th plague comes. And God says to the Jewish people, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the door frame of your house. And whoever has the blood of the lamb over the door frame of their house, when the angel of the Lord pass, passes over, he will pass over that house. But whoever does not have the blood of the lamb over the door frame of their house, death will come to that house, and the firstborn will die. That's where we get the Jewish people celebrate the Passover because the angel of the Lord passed over. Jesus, when he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he took the, the, bread, the bread and he said, and he took the wine, he said, this is my body that's broken for you. I'm the Passover. Jesus was basically saying, I am the Passover lamb. This is my blood that's poured out for you. I am the Passover lamb. Whoever has the blood of Christ over their life, death passes over this person. Whoever does not have the blood of Christ over their life, death visits this person. You see, Jesus came so that we could cross over from death to life, and death passes over us. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Okay, so back to the story. They celebrate the Passover. This happens. Death comes to all the Egyptian households. Pharaoh says, go. And now the Jewish people leave Egypt as what? What's the term? Refugees. Remember, they're being enslaved. They're being mistreated. They're being killed. Um, and they leave as refugees. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them leave as refugees. Okay, where are they going? They're going to the promised land. The promised land is a major theme that we see in Scripture. Do you know what the promised land is about? Migration. The whole idea of the promised land is all about migration. Basically, it's the idea that I'm going to take you from where you are and take you to a land that is not your own, and I'm going to bless you there, and this will become your land and you will receive blessing, and you will experience the, the fruit of this land. That's what the promised land is all about, and it's a major theme all through Scripture, okay? So, they're headed to the promised land. Now, they leave Egypt. They're going to the promised land. Uh, Jerusalem is in the promised land. How long would it take to walk from Israel, I'm sorry, from uh, Egypt to Jerusalem? How long does it take to walk? It takes about 12 days, two weeks, something like that to walk there. 
How long does it take the Jews? 40 years. Why? Because they didn't believe. Remember the, the, the spies went in, they didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, because their hearts were hard, and what does God do to discipline them, to teach them, to trust Him? Migration. They wander. I should probably keep up with my slides here. Okay, so the whole family migrates down. Moses' his sons. Oh, I was so far behind. Okay. <laughs> so, 40 years wandering around the desert. God keeps them stopping and starting and stopping, but He doesn't just let them settle down. Remember the Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. When it lifted, they packed up camp. And then when it settled down, they settled down. They set up the tabernacle in there. They were there. Sometimes they were there for a year. Sometimes they were there for a month. Sometimes they were just there for a couple days. And you say, God, why do you keep making them move? Why do you keep torturing them in this way? Because God was disciplining them to have a soft heart, okay? He had them continually migrating around. And I think it's incredibly important for us to understand that migration has a way of keeping us, keeping our perspective right. Imagine if everything that you have, you know what I mean? Imagine if you go home today and you're told you cannot be here, your life is threatened, you need to leave right now, the only thing you can take is what you can carry. You have a backpack. I can tell you this, if you are forced to migrate right now, all of a sudden your prayer life will change incredibly. You will call out to the Lord in a way that you never have before. All of a sudden the things that are important in life will become very clear. You want your family to be safe, and you can just take what you can carry. Life becomes clear. People who are migrating are oftentimes, they're extremely vulnerable. That's why we're going to see later in Deuteronomy 10 that says that God loves those who are vulnerable, but we'll see what I mean. Um, but here he keeps them stopping and starting. He, they can't settle down. And what we found is that people who are in migration, they're unattached, they're vulnerable, they're, they have to be adaptable, they have to be teachable, they're unsettled. But these are also characteristics of people who are spiritually receptive. And what we found in our ministry is because people are migrating, they're open to the gospel in a way that they've never been before, okay? And we're seeing migration happening all around the Muslim world in, in incredible ways. And do you know that more Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 25 years than in the previous 1,300 years? There's an incredible movement. The Spirit of the Lord is doing something incredibly powerful, especially in the lives of Muslims from around the world. And imagine if God is bringing, divinely orchestrating, forget your politics. Imagine if God is divinely orchestrating, bringing people here, and they come, and we have an opportunity to share the love of Christ. And you know what they feel from us? Hatred. They feel seeping through our pores I don't want you here. Why don't you just go back to your country? Don't try to influence me. Don't try to bring your culture. Don't try to affect my life. Take your religion and just go back. That's how they feel. How do I know it? Because I interact with hundreds and hundreds of Muslims. They feel that. And, and you know they've done polls Actually, the evangelical church has more anger about migration than the normal population. I'm not exactly sure why, but the evangelical church is more angry 
about migration than the general population. A number of different polls have indicated that. But we have an opportunity to love people. It doesn't matter if they're here legally or illegally. You, when I'm just, listen, when I say it doesn't matter, I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about from God's perspective. You have to understand that I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about people. I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about people, okay? I also have to remind people I, that, and some people actually maybe don't know this, but God is not an American. <laughs> I don't know if God is not an American. God actually loves people from all nations. His desire is to see people from every language, tribe, and people around His throne worshiping Him. That's God's desire. And God's highest priority is to seek and save those who are lost. That's His highest priority. And He uses migration for that purpose. Some people, after I'm done speaking, they say, so what if you find out that someone's illegally? Will you report them? I say, no, that's not my role. I am there to show the love of Christ and to see them hear this good news about Jesus. Separate policy from people. This is about people and it's about God's heart. And I have to tell people also that my highest priority, my first citizenship is in heaven and it's not as an American. My first citizenship is that I'm a believer and I'm a part of God's kingdom and his priorities are my first priorities, not how I feel politically about and not how I feel that a certain people group might be influencing or changing how comfortable I am. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so we are seeing people receptive because of migration. It's interesting, I was watching the news probably three years ago. Remember when there was the major migration that was happening? You saw thousands of people walking through fields trying to get into a country like Turkey so that they could just have safety and keep their kids safe. And all they had was a backpack and their kids, right? And kids were carrying teddy bears and, and they just had very little stuff. And, and I was thinking about that and, and I was watching that on the news and then that very same day, I had never seen this before, I was reading in the book of Psalms, I was reading through Psalms, and I saw an incredible picture of a refugee migrating. Look at what it says in Psalm 107. It says this. My clicker is no longer clicking. Okay, here we go. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. That's, my, that's a refugee. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Look at the response, what happens in this situation. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. But the point is, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they were uncertain about their life. They were, then they cried out to the Lord. People who are migrating, are spirit, their spiritual senses are heightened. They're calling out to the Lord unlike any other time. And if you were forced to migrate this afternoon, your prayer life would drastically change. And your priorities would drastically change. But we get so settled down with all of our stuff all around us. You know, over time you get settled down and your heart gets hardened. And at one point you're like, God, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, my life is yours. And then as you get stuff, your hands begin to close around them. And you say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but 
man, my child just had grandchildren and surely you wouldn't, and we begin to take things off the table. And we say, yeah, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but really we have things back behind our back. And God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I just got this dream job and this promotion. And we take things off the table. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I just bought this house and I'll lose money if I... We begin to, as we get comfortable and as we accumulate stuff, all of a sudden those things become our highest priorities. And we say, God, I'll do whatever, but we really don't even know that we don't mean it. We may not even know that we actually don't mean it. Our hearts get hardened. And we're going to see this happen to the nation of Israel as well. Okay, so they're heading to the promised land, okay? Takes them 40 years, but they finally get there. They're there, and they start to settle down, and they start to accumulate stuff. And right now, they're worshiping the Lord. They're, following, they're, they're even carrying around the tabernacle, which is like a portable temple, and they're worshiping the Lord, and He is everything. And they get into the promised land, and they settle down, and their hearts get hard, and they start worshiping other gods. So what does God do? He brings in the Babylonians. He brings in the Assyrians. We have the Babylonian captivity. We have the Assyrian captivity. And migration is happening again. And they're forced out into these far and distant lands. Think about it. The book of Daniel, it's about being a foreigner in a foreign land. The book of Ezra, it's about being a foreigner in a foreign land. The book of Nehemiah is about being a foreigner in a foreign land. All of these books are about, will we, God has scattered us. Will we ever come back into our land? The theme of migration, you know, for so many years I read the Bible and I never even thought about migration and I didn't see this theme. And once you start to see it, you realize, wow, it's, it's really all through Scripture. It's part of the whole biblical story. You can't read the Bible I mean, I, I guess you can, because I did, but you can't really read the Bible without seeing migration all the way through. Ezekiel understood migration. It says, they will know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them through the countries. Jeremiah understood, hear the word of the Lord, you nations, proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and watch over his flock like a shepherd. I'll go back for one second and say this, God brought them into the nation of Israel, they settled down, and you know what? God brought foreigners there, and you know what the Jews did? They treated them badly. They hated them. They didn't want them there. And God over and over had to give laws to make sure that they were protected, had to give laws to make sure that they weren't mistreated. Over and over, God said, love them, but they didn't want them there. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy 10. It says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. He loves them, giving them food and clothing. Who gives them food and clothing? God does. And then it says this, and you are to love those who are foreigners. He says, don't you remember? You yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You know what I mean? Actually, none of us None of us, I think none of us, would be here today if it wasn't for immigration and migration. We, have, we are all the result of migration. All of us. All of us. God says, love the foreigner. Love the foreigner. I'm going to, my time is pretty much, um, my time is up. I'm going to sk skip a bunch of these things. 
Okay. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus. Remember, Herod was killing all the young kids. So Mary and Joseph fled as refugees down to Egypt. Imagine if they got there and barbed wire and fences and they couldn't get it. But Jesus was a refugee. He was a young refugee, but he was a refugee. Um, the whole reception of the gospel was received by foreigners. The whole miracle, you guys know Acts chapter 2, the miracle of Pentecost. When we think about the miracle of Pentecost, we just think of, you know, the Holy Spirit coming down, receiving the Holy Spirit and so forth. But really, the whole miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of God reaching foreigners. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I think about that and I think, God, why do you want them in Jerusalem? What's so special about Jerusalem? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it tells us why Jerusalem was so special. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Jerusalem was this global city where all of these foreigners were coming because of the temple, because of the Feast of Weeks that was going on. What better way to, to see the gospel reach all different people groups than to bring all of these foreigners into this global city and see the gospel proclaimed? That's like New York City. But the miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of reaching the foreigner. Remember, the apostles started speaking, and all of these foreigners could understand them in their own languages. And if you read verses 5 through 11, these foreigners say this. They say, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native languages? And then it goes through Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, Rome, both Cretans and Arabs, visitors to Rome, both Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The gospels proclaimed how many people get saved on that one day? 3,000 people on that one day. 3,000 who? Foreigners. Foreigners. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. They were called, the church was called to go out, but maybe they just got comfortable, who knows? And so what does God do? He allows a persecution to come on believers, and because of this persecution, all of the believers had to migrate as refugees. Look at what it says, very quickly, I'm going to do these last two slides, and then I'm done. Acts chapter 8, remember Stephen comes, great persecution. It says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, the very places they were told to go and proclaim the gospel. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. We get a follow-up to this scenario in Acts chapter 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the gospel, the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Look what it says. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God uses migration to bring people in. We see this in Acts chapter 2, to receive the gospel, and then he also uses migration to cause the gospel to go out. All through Scripture, my time is up so we can't go into, all through Scripture, migration is part of God's story. It's one of the major things that he uses to seek and save those who are lost. We are sending missionaries to places 
and the very same people we're sending missionaries to, God is bringing them to us, and they're right on our doorstep. And we have an opportunity, unlike any other time, to see the gospel go to the nations. Lastly, I just want to say that we are also called to think like refugees, like foreigners, like strangers in this world. We're just passing through. God calls us refugees and strangers so that we don't get settled down, so that we don't focus on accumulating and get settled, that we keep ourselves open before the Lord. That's God's desire. And His desire ultimately is that we use our lives and have His priority to seek and save those who are lost. Um, That's what our ministry is in New York City. It's to reach those who God is bringing to us. Um, I want to thank you again for partnering with us. I'm going to be in the back, so I'd love to chat with you guys uh, when you go out. We have a little table there with stuff about international project. We have a number of job descriptions. We're growing, so we need people to join us. So check out our job descriptions over there. Um, And let me just close this in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much um, that you are a God that loves all people and all nations, and that, Lord, um, all nations and all people and all tongues will surround your throne and worship you, Lord. And I just thank you that you allow us to be part of your plan to seek and save the lost. Lord, give us a heart to love all people. Give us a heart to love those who are vulnerable. Give us a heart to love the foreigner, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name, and we give you all the praise and glory. Amen.